Welcome to the Prepare to Win Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Back from vacation, back on the, the bullshit here. Um, today we're going to get into uh, what I like to call, we're going to call the episode Baby Steps. That's what we need to call it. Um, I get a lot of inquiries. I guess I'm going to wrap this around a lot of things, but I get a lot of inquiries, uh, especially for nutrition, uh, on coaching and things like that. And a common thing that I keep seeing lately, especially with people that clearly need the nutrition advice, um, it's pretty pretty clear whenever they get a hold of me and what they're saying, um, you know, in the background info that they always provide without me even asking it yet. Um, but the same thing kind of keeps happening where people will inquire and maybe they got referred by someone and they uh, seem all excited and everything. And then, you know, once we get through talking a bit, then out comes like how it works, price, all that stuff. And then typically from there, there's no response or there might be like an okay, thanks. And then you never hear from them again. So that tells me that they don't think that my coaching is worth the price. Now, they don't know anything about my coaching is kind of the biggest thing there. But um, the next big thing is that, you know, to to take these steps into nutrition and to take steps to bettering yourself, at some point, you have to give a little to see the result. And sometimes you have to give a lot to see the result. That's how this works. So you're going to have to sacrifice something at some point. And, you know, that might be that you sacrifice going out with your friends or, um, you know, you might sacrifice watching that movie late at night so you can get some extra sleep so your fitness gets better, things like that. Um, but for someone to inquire that has seen results, especially from one of my other clients, um, and then to, to not be willing to take a step of spending, okay, let's say a few hundred dollars, um, over the course of a couple months, um, not saying that they need to stay on for a year, you know, but give it a three, four month trial, mm-hmm. you know, you're not willing to spend those few hundred dollars on trying to better yourself, which I promise you're probably going to learn more in those three or four months than you have in your entire life on not only nutrition, but about the way your body it, it works and mm-hmm. what works for it and things like that. I literally have people still to this day that will email me from years ago saying, you know, Hey, just letting you know, like I'm still doing the things you told me to do. Um, you know, I've gotten multiple emails of like weight still down. I'm actually, I'm leaner. I'm getting better, blah, blah, blah. Um, some of them came off meds have never been back on my meds. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, all this shit. So we're talking life changing. We're not talking like just changing for the next few months, getting ready for a competition, um, for the wedding, for the whatever, for the summer, you know, we're talking life changing things that they learn and they carry on after that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same way as like some people get a powerlifting coach that never had a coach before they get some structured programming. And all of a sudden they start to grasp a little bit more about programming. And that's a evolutionary thing in, in their journey. Right. Mm-hmm. So, my biggest problem is like, if you're not willing to take those, those little steps to at least get the ball rolling and get something started, you're never going to fucking succeed. It's never going to happen. You'll never reach that upper level. And some of these people are fucking strong already. And that's the other part of it. Like there's people are getting a hold of me, you know, females with 1300, 1400 pound totals that, Dang. that, yeah, that want to start nutrition. How do you know that we don't dial this in and you go to up to that, that record setting level Mm -hmm. in your weight class, you know, you don't know, but you're not even willing to take those few steps when you're that far along already, not willing to take those few steps to see if it gets better, you know? Um, and, and it's just one of those things I'll never comprehend. It's the same thing as like people complain about, you know, their job situation, their money problems, their life problem, their this, their that, you know, and they'll look at someone else like, Oh man, they got lucky or, you know, they're making so much money or they're doing so so great, you know, 
they got they got they'll usually say like they got lucky or well this they'll make some fucking excuse no that person studied up and they learned and they went for it they took the risk they took the baby mm-hmm. steps to get there right and they they went through their risk management and they went for it and i bet you for for the success that you're seeing in in those people i bet you there's about five or six things they failed at before that or they backed out of okay. partway through because they were like, eh, it wasn't how I thought it was going to be. Let's turn courses here. Yeah. You know, so. One of the things I figured out in grad school was there will never be a class that you take and, you know, transfer that over to things that happen in life. There's never going to be a situation where you can't pull something out of it that you learned. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking this or it took this uh, neurobiology class and the whole time the teacher's talking about like sea slugs. Yeah. And I'm interested in working with athletes. <laughs> but like his point w- with it was that like with them, they have this incredibly simplistic nervous system. And he mm-hmm. teaches you about how the nervous system reacts to learning. Yeah. And it became the student's responsibility to figure out how does that concept of learning end mm-hmm. up applying to your population that you want to work with. So you talk about people who took classes or go and hire somebody as a mentor or as a coach. Yeah. And you do it for like three months. In my mind, I see that as an investment into your learning mm-hmm. more than just an investment for those three months. Because like you said, yeah. you're going to get something out of it. Yeah. Even if you turned out, and you're not, but if you turned out to be a terrible nutritional coach, yeah, you can at least figure out what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so you take that lesson into the next things. Like, all right, well, I paid this much and I only got this out of it. So I've learned my lesson. I need to look for somebody who's going to provide at least, you know, this, this X level, amount of value. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you can't do that, mm-hmm. or if you can't see that big picture, like you said, like you've created this barrier yeah. where it's going to be really difficult for you to progress in life if mm-hmm. that's how you keep looking at situations. Yeah. I've, I've had people that, you know, have came back from the, the opposite end of things. Like I've had numerous people, God, um, they go to these coaches. Now, mind you, I'm not uh, an expensive coach. Right. I am uh, for, I'm actually probably under market for my peers at my level, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I watch as all these people talk about how they spent 150, 175, $200 a month on these nutrition coaches. And then, you know, <laughs> They got shitty advice or, oh, wow, you mean that coach actually didn't care about you? You didn't get any feedback? Imagine that, you know, Um, or they sent you a uh, cookie cutter spreadsheet. Oh, okay, You know, but hey, Insta famous. Right. Right. So they turn around and they come to me and they're like, well, holy shit, like you're one hundred dollars cheaper a month and I'm getting more content and I'm getting better and you fix something in three or four months that I was with them for a year and nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Light bulb goes off. Right. So, um, I think that's kind of the problem also is like, if I had a bigger Instagram following, say I could charge another hundred dollars a month and people would come just to be part of the community and part of, yeah. Oh my God, that's my coach and all that bullshit that happens online. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the way to look at it. And that's what people are seeking out now. They're seeking out the community, the bullshit, like that coach is going to repost me. So I'm going to get followers from it and look at me. I hired this name, you know what I mean? Rather than the quality of coach. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's a huge dilemma itself. But the point is, is like, you know, you're going to learn, like you said, like you're going to learn from those bad experiences with those coaches and maybe you hire me and you have a bad experience and you go to the next coach and you know, you, you learn like up, oh, he couldn't do shit for me and you move right. on. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but most of the time that's not going to happen. Right. If someone's not progressing, it's you, it's usually they're not adhering to something or it's, we're just not at that point yet. It takes time. So that's, you know, can't expect like miracles to happen in four months when you've had four years of shitty eating. Right. So, um, plus it takes time for a coach to learn your body, especially like some of these people hire me for a prep to make sure their weight's good, performance good, cuts good if they have to cut, stuff like that. And it's like, you're asking me to do a lot when I've never worked with your body before, Mm -hmm. you know, and no matter what, like the science says and all that, you still have to like adjust per the person and something that works with 
you know, 90% of other people, you might get that one, one, uh, person, two people that's like not really working for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be someone that really needs it at the time too. So, um, you know, for example, like I've watched, uh, people that have dropped weight significantly leverages change uh, lifts aren't really affected much, you know, Le- through leverage change, losing weight, all that. I watch some people drop five or six pounds and holy shit, their lifts are all over the place and go to shit. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it's a mental thing and they can't connect neurologically and that's just how it is sometimes. Um, but sometimes it is a mental thing like, oh my God, I lost five pounds. I'm so much weaker. No, you're not. Right. You know, um, if you're, if you're losing one or 2% of your body weight, you're not getting, you're not going to be magically that much weaker. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Um, but anyway, um, kind of where I'm transitioning with it is like, y- you have to take those steps. You have to take that risk. And you know what, if you're going to hire a coach, make sure again, further out, Like I said, like if you're working with a body for the first time, that's also kind of the risk on me too, is like, I'm going to take you on maybe a little later than I want to. And you know, we can't, I tell people this all the time, like, okay, you have a meet in 10 weeks. I'm not going to be able to do all the things I want to do with you right now. I just need to make sure you're optimal for the meet post meet. Yes. We can really worry about like uh, recomposition, weight loss, you know, losing body fat, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you have to at least like give it the time, you know, and it's the same with like when you're thinking like business and this is kind of what I wanted to transition to really, um, read a good book, um, tap my phone wrong, but read a good book on vacation. It was about basically like how to move into real estate. And the guy was talking about like taxes and things, um, how to use tax system to your advantage, all these things. Mm-hmm. And, he talked about how when he was, um, uh, he was like in the Marine Corps, I think, or something like that. And he went to a real estate class and uh, a real estate seminar. A weekend seminar cost him like 380 bucks or something like that. And at the time, I think this is back in like the late 70s or early 80s. So like $380 was a lot, you know, military pay. It's not, oh yeah, it's not extravagant. <laughs> so like he said something like it was like half of like his monthly pay at the time or something mm-hmm. like that, right? So he goes to this class and he's like, that class set me up to make millions. He's like, that wasn't like the end all. That was the stepping stone. That was the very first time he got introduced to to real estate, right? Okay. And then from there, obviously, like he went the path, got mentors, got talked to people, you know, bought his first property, started buying other properties, started, you know what I mean? Like it starts, the ball starts rolling. Kind of like you said, when you take a class, you might pull one or two things from it. Mm -hmm. Those are the baby steps you have to take to where this guy then goes later and he's buying huge units of 200 you know, unit, uh, apartment complexes and stuff like that to buy in like industrial building. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he got the ball rolling to now this guy is like, I don't even know how many million he's worth now, but like that started from a little $380 investment at a weekend seminar right. is what he got introduced with. You know, I forget what book it's from, but one of the things I remember from years ago was a guy saying that you should invest like 10% of your income. Mm hmm into your self-development yeah whatever that is whether it's learning i mean this guy 380 you're talking like 50 percent of his income right there Mm. at the time but just if you just do the math on what 10 percent is people would look at that and be like i mean even someone making like 34,000, you're like you want me to spend three to four grand a year on self-development yes yeah yeah i do and whether that goes towards helping yourself as a business owner or a business person or with say nutrition Mm -hmm. and uh, your career as an athlete. Yeah. Whatever that is. Suddenly spending a hundred dollars a month for nutrition or more. It really doesn't sound that bad when you can tell yourself this is part of the overall investment into myself as an individual because it carries on with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, I can use an example and I'm, I'm going to exaggerate the end of this a bit, but like, um, I forget how much my 
NSCA certification cost. But you know, the book was probably like a hundred bucks, maybe a hundred, yeah. something, whatever, hundred bucks, let's call it. I forget what it was actually. But let, let's say it was a hundred dollars for the study materials. Took the test, probably a few hundred dollars more, two seventy five, I think maybe yeah. sounds about right. You know, so I had about like three, four hundred dollars invested in um taking the NSCA test to become a certified trainer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I got a CrossFit level one, what, like a year, two years later. So that was a thousand dollars, you know, so I, I had some money invested. I obviously had to, um, you know, seek out time investment of like, I train people for no money and then a little bit of money, you know, and then I got a job at the gym. Um, let's go with the bouncy ball forward, you know, and then I'm running the gym. Then all of a sudden it's time to make that decision. Am I all in or am I out, you know, like, to go start my own thing mm-hmm. and okay so went and started my own thing i think i spent a couple grand of my own money that i had saved up you know right away yeah. to kind of get it going um went talked to the bank gave me the business credit card and i've told this story if you haven't heard this story go back in earlier episodes i talk about this in business okay rack up a bunch of money on that credit card you know money starts flowing in from the business mm-hmm. I'm not making shit, by the way, for anyone that thinks I was. Like, <laughs> go back and listen. I wasn't making anything at all. Um, reinvesting in the gym, most of the income that's coming in is going straight back in the gym on equipment, all that stuff, to the expansion, to, you know, second expansion, you fail it, you know, to like, you know, the pay that I make, you know, now to what if, okay, and this is where I'm going to exaggerate, like, way out there. Yeah. But let's say 10 years from now, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm more diversified than I am now. And let's say that I'm making 10 times what I am now. And I decide to be one of those people that comes out and uh, drives a fancy car, you know, has a big house. I don't know, whatever the hell, you know, people look at it like, Oh my God, like how did he get there? You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And like, oh, his his gym must be doing well. And it's like, no, it's not even from the gym. Right. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. or the it's like you always talk about like the uh ten years to make an overnight success thing. Yeah. And that's how people will look at it. Like, um suddenly you're so successful and it's like, No, yeah, you're not paying attention to the ten yeah, to fifteen. Yeah, you didn't take you didn't watch the baby steps again, the little steps that it took to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I wish I could name drop here, but like I have friends that are, that are, are like that, that started from shit and like build up, build up, build up. And now they're, they're spending some money. They're able to do a lot of things and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll get like other friends that are like, you know, Oh, well, they they got lucky and like this or that, or they'll try to make excuses. No, you didn't remember like eight years ago when that person wasn't going out, wasn't in the bars, wasn't doing shit. Mm-hmm. Like they were working every weekend, and every time we asked them to do something, they were working. You know, yeah. Guess what? They've been grinding for eight, ten years now, and yeah, that's why they're like here at this mm-hmm. point. You know, so um, yeah, it's a thing though. It's like. Anything that I've ever wanted to diversify in, um, me and Lindsay were just talking about this the other night. I'm like, I fucking can study and I can research. And, you know, that's what she says. Like, she dropped the hint that she wanted to do a coffee shop or something like that. You know how much shit I know about coffee shops now? (laughs) And I still don't know anything. But I went out and I, dude, I looked up. So I have numbers and numbers and numbers on coffee shops. You know, how much they make per day, how much per cup, how much for this grind, that grind, mm-hmm. like how much a bag of beans costs, how much a bag of beans costs in this, you know, th- from this place, that place, you know, all this shit. Right. Um, when I catch on to an idea, remember the, the expansion, mm-hmm. like how many, how much number shit I drew up on the board, you know, right. here's our break even, here's what we need for this many that, you know, and you start just flowing it down, you know, and it's the same thing with like, um, I became a little bit more interested in like investing and real estate and all these things in the past couple of years. And, um, I'd always been invested, but like now I can go on and day trade if I want to, mm-hmm. I know how to read charts a little bit better. I know how to look at different things on there a little bit better. Um, on the real estate game side, I know how to take debt now and buy properties with debt and make it tax free and things like that. Like 
I know all these processes to owning real estate and I haven't even begun to buy up real estate right. except for the place where I'm going to build a house. Like, do you understand what I'm yep. saying? Like, and I still don't know what I need to know to probably fully jump into it, you know? Um, but at some point that, I, that probably is going to be something I want to jump into. Mm -hmm. Or let's say the coffee shop. Now, you know what? I have the bit of starter knowledge, I'm not an expert, going to probably fuck up, <laughs> you know, yeah. going to learn along the way, but you have to have, you have to have a starting point. And I think that's why a lot of people want this great success and they never reach it because they don't have a starting point. And then they don't see it's a week to week, day to day build, not, okay, here's three years from now. And I just want to jump straight there. Yep. You have to have a, a somewhat of a path to get there. That whole three year, five year, 10 year plan shit. That's real. You're it's good. You're going to divert from it, but you have to have some kind of, so, some kind of plan, some kind of map to get there, you know? I've been the type of person where, like you said, when something comes up that you want to get into, I end up doing a lot of research on it. And then you find like there are levels to it where at first it just turns into like, oh, I'm going to Google things. And then it turns mm -hmm. into I'm going to read articles. And then you find specific books that are about it. And at a certain point you realize you've read not all the books, but you've basically read everything that the books are going to say. There's a lot of repetition mm -hmm. from book to book. And you start finding like fewer and fewer nuggets and you get to a point where you realize that if you're going to progress, like you have to move on to what that next level of learning is, whether that's hiring someone to yeah. teach you how to do it. Uh, maybe it's going to like a weekend course or a seminar or mm -hmm. you know, paying for a higher level yeah. of involvement with the education. Um, and I'm, to your point about people seeing like three years out, in my experience, you have two options. You can either jump to paying for something right away and not know what you're paying for and probably spend mm -hmm. way too much money on people who have the bigger following or the bigger advertising and mm -hmm. marketing budget because that's who you're going to see first. Yeah. You don't know any better. Yeah. And then in that same amount of time, realize, oh man, I spent all this money to only wind up where you would have anyway if you had started with those baby steps at the beginning and been like, all right, I'm going to do a little bit of research. Yeah. Now I'm going to read a couple of books. The first one feels better because mm -hmm. it scratches the itch right away. Yep. Like, look, I'm doing this. I'm and even and you might get money yeah, time you, into it. You might get cash flow right away. You might get followers right away. Whatever your thing is, mm -hmm. you know, and it all seems like it's going great. And but you're the you're the new flavor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's going to pop for a month, two, three, and then you're gone. And if you had taken the time at the beginning to read about that, you might have realized that that's what happens, mm -hmm. and there's a way to take advantage of it. Yeah. But if you don't realize how long that lasts and what to do afterward suddenly you don't have a plan after step one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't last. This is why, um, you know, 90, was it 90% of small businesses fail in the first five years and in the next five years, 90% of those fail. So you're looking at like, what I think it's like, I think the statistics, what one is at 1%. Yeah. One of out of, out of every hundred businesses will survive 10 years, mm -hmm. small businesses. So, you know, if you're thinking about starting a small business, that number, that is very real. That's a very real number. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people that I've known were in the fitness industry 10 years ago or not anymore. Um, and some of them had gyms. Some of them had uh, just training studios. Some of them had uh, just training in general, you know. Um, speaking of, I mean, there's a local CrossFit gym that's shutting down. Uh, and it's been open at least 10 years, maybe a little bit longer. So, cause I went there, I remember passing through there like eight years ago and it was open before that. It's probably been open yeah. 12 years. Um, now I don't think it ultimately failed. Um, I don't think that was the case. Um, uh, not hundred percent on that, but, um, you know, I don't, I think it just topped out a long time ago, you know, and it mm -hmm. just, there was no growth. So, um, and and we have also seen gyms, CrossFit gyms, other type that have failed. Yeah. In the area. Yep. There's been a yeah. yeah five years or less. Yep. Um, then there's other gyms I had to completely restructure just to survive. I can think of two of them right off the top of my head. Um, one used to be like a open gym, you know, twenty four seven kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
did a little bit of training and I had trainers this and that. And then they completely reverted to just being a, a boot camp challenge kind of gym. Um, and they're only open like a few hours a day, if that, you know, and, and then they, all they do is run challenges and boot camps to hmm. just, uh, rip people off, but that's another story. Yeah, that's a different story. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've seen, you know, so, and, and sometimes you do have to restructure with the market, but, um, you know, like I said, there's, I, uh, shit. I mean, pandemic's one thing like that fucked a lot of people. You know, oh God, yes. There, if you failed in that time, don't take it. Don't take it terribly because that was um, that's not, that wasn't the time to have a business or just be starting a business or anything like that. Um, although there was good opportunities, if you were looking to start a business, you probably could have hopped in an, uh, a building for pretty cheap, um, got some property very cheap um, for to rent and stuff. So. Um, so there might've been some, some good things, but if you were a business that was kind of fresh on the block or you tried to start one during or just before, like we did, like you just wrong time, wrong place, wrong time. And that, that happens in life sometimes too. But, um, back to your point of like finding the mentors and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. That's, that's another thing this guy talked about in that book is basically like each step of the way he went up in that next level until he put together a team um, that was rock solid. Like he's got, you know, he, he's talked to some of the best like tax accountants, um, some of the best like CPAs and, and, uh, uh, guys, other guys in real estate, you know, bankers, like just basically anyone that is somewhat construction guys, like anyone that's somewhat involved mm-hmm in it and he's look learned little things now he needs all those people because he he can't know all that right? right um but he knows a little bit about each area that makes him a better real estate investor right. you know so knows enough about who to go to in the right time yeah yeah to get the rest of and that's again that goes back to we're just going back to all the episodes. If you go back, (laughs) we talk about not burning bridges and things like that because you never know Mm -hmm. when, when you might need them. So this guy, you know, he jumped into real estate. I'm sure he didn't burn bridges with the construction guys he knew or the, you know, whatever that he might've eventually needed something from. So, um, you know, there's even take like, you know, someone might look at me and you like, oh, that gym, massage therapist, what the fuck do I need them for? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool, though. You know, what if we decide to hop into another uh, another industry and all of a sudden you're coming to try to get a job from us, mm-hmm. but we remember you. You know what I mean? Oh, you're that person. You're that person. Gotcha. Yeah. Hi. Bye. So, you know, never burn a bridge because you never know when you're going to cross that person again um, or might need them. So. Um, anyway, that was kind of my whole thing on taking little steps. You got anything to add to it? What I wish that people would look at it as it's not what you as a coach or as a mentor cost. It's what, what is the value that you're going to place on your own uh, knowledge in this case? Like when we talked about nutrition, your own health. Yeah. Cause if I come to you and I say, here's my life story, here's what I want to do with nutrition. And I know you said that you can apply it to a lot of other things, but just mm. to use as an example, we have the whole conversation. Then I ask, all right, how much does it cost? And you tell me, and like, there's no further conversation. Yeah. What I've now said is that I'm not worth spending that money yeah. to hire you. Yeah. I want to pay for less for myself. Mm-hmm. Like I've dropped my own value. Mm-hmm. Like my health isn't worth, you know, it's not that one, important to you. 200, right. Yeah. So I wish that people would flip the mindset. It's, Yes, you are worth as a coach X amount of money per mm-hmm. month because of the value that you're able to provide. But looking at that as, again, an investment in yourself, yeah. in your own education, in your own health, and realizing that you're diminishing your own perception of your value when you say that you don't want to spend that money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's same as like when, uh, you know, when I went and got a coach, I debated on it for a minute. You know, mm-hmm. um, is it time? Is it not? You know, things like that. Um, and then I don't think it was, it was never really a price thing for me. It was just a matter of like, um, probably a little bit of my own ego. Cause like, you know, I, I coach and things like that. Like, do I need to get the coach or do you know, yeah. it, it, you know, and I was always worried about putting it into the hands of other people. Um, 
I am ish con- like I like to control things in, in a sense a bit mm-hmm. you know I, I can delegate and things like that but it, you know especially when it comes to me I've always been in control of my own self for the most part mm-hmm. so why do I want to hand that off to someone else um, so it's never really a money thing that you know it was just more of like am I ready for that step right you know but once I invested in that step like I did it um like even right now, the only reason like I, I don't have the same coach right now is because I'm not competing anytime soon. I can come in and it wouldn't be fair to the coach. And that's why I told him, I'm like, I'm going to literally go in sometimes not even with the plan and just do whatever the hell I feel like doing. Like if I need to take a day, I need to take a day because this is the last time you did that. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I, you know, now I'm starting to get like, you know, we're like six weeks in now. I'm like, okay, I need to be like some structure here, <laughs> but like, um, I, well, I'm not sure like which direction I, I'd be heading because of like all the stuff coming up and I'm someone like I don't make fucking excuses and everyone knows that about me and I've pushed through the hardest fucking shit you can possibly imagine so like when I tell people like you know you you can do it kind of thing and like there's no excuse and stuff I fucking mean that mm. you know but everyone has their point when it's and you gotta that's individual when you have to take that step back or whatever you decide to do. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at. There's so like every part of my life is stress. So there's, you know, and there's health shit, there's this and that, like, you know, so my plan is to back the fuck off mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe come back in a year and compete, maybe never compete again. The thing is I have that, that luxury to make that plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, maybe go compete in something else. Who knows? Just depends what I decide to do. Um, but if it weren't for all that, all this, this crazy shit that's coming up, then I would still have like the same coach. I'd still be on that same path doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's never like a, I, I have that much value in my own training. Yep. I'm just not going to waste my time or, or that coach's time. I, I'm going to respect that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, there's uh like you said, there, there's, there's always going to be a point when that value you're placing on something like I'm, you can tell me that this bison at, you know, I'm making shit up, but like okay. at $500, a fucking plate will make you superhuman. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like at some point there is a drawback, you know, <laughs> I get that. So like, you know, I don't expect people like to spend a thousand dollars a month on their training or something right. crazy. So, but all right. Um, we had some questions. We should probably get into them. Um, trying to read back through this one. It was kind of, someone was wondering, um, we kind of touched on this before and, um, but not really too much in depth. Um, is what to eat before and during a meet um starting with the night before so what i always tell people is kind of going to depend if you cut or not you know because it really starts like post weigh-in you know so if you cut um significant amount of weight you know post weigh-in obviously the the first thing you need to do is get hydration back in you before you even think about like throwing food in so um there's a lot of times uh, drinks that will make um, some people use Pedialyte, you know, you can use drip drop, things like that. Okay. Um, even like a uh, orange juice, dextrose and salt. Cause you're getting, oh, yeah. you're getting sugars back into you pretty quick. Um, you gotta be a little bit careful because you don't, you want to get salt in. Um, if you try to go like some people like start eating potassium or something right away, that can fuck you up. You need to make sure that you have plenty of salt in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you don't ever want to be low sodium and then throw potassium in. That won't be uh, good. You can literally die. So anyway, um, but immediately afterwards. <laughs> I'm just laughing because you're just like, you could die. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Let's transition. Actually brush off that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so you want to get sodium back in, you want to get water back in, things like that, fluids. You know, some people do IV bags, whatever. Yeah. Then from there, I always say you want to eat as normal as possible. So, you know, you don't go down the road into Cracker Barrel and get like five plates of food and smash all of it, and then your stomach's upset right. and things like that. Um, 
Now, not to say like, you know, some people don't have the convenience of going back home or going to their Airbnb to cook breakfast or whatever. So just if you're going to go to breakfast somewhere, be smart. You know, something like pancakes are going to help um, with that or a waffle or something are going to help with that digestion as far as you not shitting yourself. Um, it does have a, the ability to kind of back things up a little bit or slow things down. I should say, I shouldn't say back them up mm-hmm. um, unless you are like somewhat intolerant to them then. You know, different story yeah. different story but um you know you can get like most places like if you do get an omelet or something or eggs or something it's going to be all right now i understand like there's different oils that could be on uh that fryer you got to be careful of that mm-hmm. and things like that um but then it, throughout your day you want to typically take in um more carb than you generally would i wouldn't try to go excessive on fats um again it's going to slow things down a little bit, could back you up, um, you know, could make you go more. Depends how your body works. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is highly individualized, so you kind of kind of know yourself. So let's say your macros, um, let's say you were just throwing numbers out. Let's say you're eating like 400 carbs a day and you're eating like 80 fats a day or something like that. You know, kick those carbs to 550, 600, you know, kick the mm-hmm. fat up, maybe five, 10 grams. You know, you'll be fine right there. You don't need to go like crazy on anything. Just eat a little bit more probably than what you would used to, uh, what, what you're used to, uh, to make sure that you do fill back out, make sure you do um, get everything in. Now, if you're someone who went through a severe cut, it might be more. You might be pushing closer. Um, let's say you're at 400, you dropped, a, you know, 150 or 100 those couple days leading into it to, to cut down or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might need a, you might need to jump to like 700 carbs or something or higher mm-hmm. to, to really get everything back in. So that's all individualized. Um, it's hard to like throw specific numbers on it without seeing the body and things like that. But you want to eat as normal as possible the day before. Last thing you want to do is you hear about people that have the stomach issues on meat day and all that stuff. Um, meat day, typically like, um, get up, have kind of the same breakfast again that you normally would. Um, I like to make breakfast a little bit bigger, especially if you are a second, third flight person, um, just because it's going to be a while until you lift. So you should be fine. Don't overfill. You can always take food to the meat. Um, plenty of sodium in, in the morning, plenty of water, things like that. Um, it's all right to be, get a little bit bloated for, you know, squats generally, again, depends on your leverages and things like that. By the time you get to deadlifts, you don't want to be overly bloated. Um, you know, it's going to throw off the leverages the most in that point. So from there, you don't want to like just slam sodium all day through the, through the meat. Um, you know, especially if you get to deads and your, let's say your hands have swelled up from eating too much sodium, you know, makes a drop in the bar easier, not hanging on to it, things like that a little bit uh, easier to happen. So um, throughout the day, typically for me, um, I'll do very small amount of pasta or um, I'll do um, like fruit, things like that. Mm. I don't eat a ton on meat day, but I, I need something. Um, I've done a little bit of rice and things like that. I don't get concerned too much with protein on meat day. You know, a little bit's fine. A little bit of fats is good, but I don't worry too much about it. Um, just because it's going to take more energy to digest that protein Mm -hmm. energy you need for the lifting. Plus it's not, you're not, you're not breaking down. You're not like you're going to break down, but it's like, you're not going to break down and repair and all that stuff right then. Wait till post meat, go have a fat steak and Mm -hmm. you'll be fine. You know, um, and then make sure you keep up with everything the next day. But, uh, for me, typically, like I said, it's fruit, it's maybe a little bit of pasta. And again, that's if your stomach can handle it. Um, a little bit of rice. I love mashed sweet potato. One of the most overlooked things is oh, yeah, it's fantastic. mash up sweet potato. It's so easy to eat. It's very carb dense. Mm-hmm. So you can, it's almost like eating baby food. Like you can literally, (laughs) you can literally eat like a hundred grams of carbs, you know, and throw some butter on it or whatever you want, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to get a little bit of fat in, but you can literally eat a hundred grams of carbs instantly and not feel full from it, not feel bloated out. Um, a little bit slower digesting too. So it's like, it's gonna, 
you know, kind of sustain those sugar levels and things. Um, one thing I do kind of like to do is during deadlifts, um, I'll usually take in just a little bit of caffeine and then dextrose kind of spike everything up, jack everything up. It almost gives you like a, a euphoric effect. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever done this, and I've had people do it, so they know exactly what I'm talking about. You literally feel like, um, like a rush in your head and it's not going to crash in time you know, by your third attempt. You're not going to crash by your third attempt. If, right. it, if that happens, the meat's moving way too slow. Um, that should not happen at all. So usually it's like during my warm up of deadlift, I'll kind of be sipping on it and I'll just chug it all down. Mm-hmm. And that should give you that kind of sugar rush and caffeine rush for the day. You don't want to be jacked up on caffeine all day. That's kind of one, another big mistake. You'll see people just slam caffeine before every lift. I have a little bit now I'm a little bit more sensitive, but, um, so I haven't had caffeine usually the week before. So I'll have a little bit before squats. Mm hmm nothing before bench and then some before deadlift and you know usually by deadlift everyone's a little dead so it wakes you back up anyway yeah um hopefully that covers most of it oh there's a lot that goes into it but yeah that's kind of what i do so um do we have any other questions we want to answer today uh when they came in how do i know when to increase my weight after injury increase like lifting weight Mm -hmm. after injury kind of coming back to the previous lifting weight that they were at Hmm. well i'll take a sip of water there um that's going to be dependent again i hate to use this but it's going to be dependent on person to person um i would say when there's going to be pain there's going to be discomfort Mm -hmm. but you need to know the difference between like a little bit of discomfort and serious pain building and feeling a little bit, eh, that feels kind of odd. And like, oh my God, stop. You know, you need to know the difference between those body signals. Um, I would gradually progress it and understand it's not going to be linear. You might have to come back down. It's not, it's, you're, not point. you're not regressing at that point. If you have to take a week or whatever to come back down and then slowly work back up, like that's fine. Mm-hmm. You're not ultimately regressing. I think people fear that and then they keep trying to push it, push it. And then all of a sudden they're re-injured again. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say, you know, first and foremost, if you can get pain free, that's the best case scenario. And if you're pain free up it, you know, mm-hmm. things are moving well, you're not grinding anything, then go ahead, go up, especially if it's pain free, you know, and you're not grinding. Those are two kind of biggest things. Cause what you don't want to do is destroy your nervous system and be RP nine, nine point five ten for all your lifts when your body's still trying to repair from that injury, whether you know it or not. Right. You know, so um and again it probably depends where's the injury, how long ago yeah. was it, you know, did you have surgery? Did you not? What's the rehab been like? Mm-hmm. How long has it been since you lifted? You know, so there was a model that I saw uh I don't remember how long ago, but I've used it ever since where they talked about what happens at different weeks yeah. post-injury and like where the tissue remodeling is. And mm-hmm. again, yes, it depends on what the injury is and how yeah. severe it was. I think P- don't P- PTs basically have like a manual of like for most common injuries mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Like how long it takes when before this happens yeah. and what you should do. But what I liked about it is you can extrapolate from it, coming back to the idea of like, hey, here's a learning opportunity from something that isn't directly applicable. About seven to 10 days mm-hmm. post-injury, you're at like 50%. Mm-hmm. Not for the lift, but for what that muscle can handle. Yeah. And then you come up like 10% per yeah. week after that. Now, do, listen, listen, that he's not saying you you increase the weight. Um, you're not going to increase the weight 50. So if you were squatting 400 before, it doesn't mean you're squatting 200. Right. And then you're going to be, you know, back to 400 four weeks later. Right. Yeah. And I like your point where you said like, it's not linear yeah. because it's very much a learning process. You could take it up, you know, 10% mm-hmm. and find that like you're in pain again. It's like, yeah. okay, on paper, yeah, 10% for the week. Yeah. But you might've pushed that too much. So then you have to back off, allow it to come back to where it was. And then you start over. Mm-hmm. Maybe you only could have gone 5%. But when I was telling this to a power lifter in the past, they're like, well, okay, well, my deadlift is this. like, no, 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 not 
the dead, not 50% of your deadlift. Mm. It's what that particular muscle group can handle outside. Like if you were to just isolate that mm. muscle, it's like 50% of its max contraction yeah. it can handle. Yeah. We have to figure out what that exercise is first. Once, not to cut you off, but some something that irritates me with that too is I'll get, I'll see this a lot when like someone tweaks something or whatever. They're so quick to get back to like those extremely heavy weights. Like you guys don't realize, like when I herniated my back um, seven days after I started benching with my feet up and I think 14 days after was my first squats, I squatted 135. 135. I squatted 500 at the time. I squatted 135 for sets of 10. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when I hurt my back again for deadlifts for the longest time, I was only deadlifting with like 135 to 225, maybe 275. Mm -hmm. Go to 315, didn't feel right, back down. And I didn't let my ego push. And that's why I came back from both of those things without having any major tweaks after that, you know, it just mm -hmm. took time, you know, it's, this is the thing is like, you know, maybe, and maybe it's my commitment to it, but like both those injuries, that was four to five months of like no ego at all lifting. Like it sucked. Like I'm talking lifting at 50% of the weights I used to be able to and things like mm -hmm. that, you know, um, the one I came back competed, what I think I said, like seven, seven and a half months later, the other one was nine or 10 months later. It took to get back to full strength and compete again, mm -hmm. you know? So like, it's not, if you tweak something, understand like a lot of people will tweak something or this hurts or that. And they, they expect to be repaired and like their lifts feel great three weeks later that it doesn't no. fucking work like that. <laughs> you might need to go through three months, you know, and I get, sometimes I get tired, like. I'll have clients that will just bitch about this, this hurt and that hurt. Well, what are you doing for it? Mm -hmm. You're not doing anything for it. When I hurt my back every fucking day I woke up, it was how am I going to, what am I going to do to get my back better today? Mm -hmm. Every single day. It was like that, you know, anyway, back to, sorry for cutting you off, no. but that just, <laughs> that stuff annoys me. It's more than just taking a day off or like a week off. Yeah. It's the day-to-day -day work that you have to do for, like you said, six weeks, 12 weeks, mm -hmm. sometimes longer. Um, and that's not fun to say. It's not what people want to hear, but mm -hmm. it's like, we don't get to cheat physiology when it comes to mm -hmm. how these things heal themselves. Post ACL tear went from running, could run 10 miles, could run, could sprint, mm -hmm. you know, was fast, like not slow at all sprinting, you know, um, could do anything. Right. I didn't run for two years. I believe it was. Four, seven, yeah, about two years it took me to get back to running. Now yeah. I had some shitty PT work, um, took a while to get surgery, but still, like, two years, no running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there like, was uh, multiple posts that I've read from physical therapists yeah. who talked about how nine months out, ACL surgery, it's not uncommon mm -hmm. to see inflammation and flare-ups mm -hmm. from it. And, you know, you have these athletes or these patients that are really concerned. Like, yeah. should this be happening? It's been nine months. I thought you said I was good to go. It's like, no, you're good. That doesn't mean that the tissue is as is strong right. as it was before. Yeah. And it's good. You have to treat it yeah. appropriately. And I put out a thing just today talking about this a little bit. And like, I really watered it down. But like you were saying, the pain in the moment that you have to pay attention to is really important. Mm -hmm. Are you just kind of like hypersensitive because it was injured or are you actually re-aggravating it? Yeah. Cause if it is, that's probably the wrong movement for you. Mm -hmm. If you have pain immediately, you're like soon after you probably had too much weight. Like let's say with your back. Yeah. Could you have done a squat at higher weight without it hurting right then? Probably. Yeah. But you would have felt it pretty soon afterward. Like, Oh, that was too much. Yeah. If you have it within 24 to 48 hours afterward, you probably just did too much volume for mm -hmm. what it can handle. And those are three very different states and there's more that goes into it. But like if someone were to have a takeaway from that in the moment, yes, I like to use the idea of pain as a reference, but because people's ego gets in the way and also just what people can tolerate as far as pain, pain and yeah, their perception of it. Pain are different, yeah. Um, like there's some other things that you can do as mm -hmm. well. 
to kind of help you figure out if your body's even ready. So kind of that, you know, 10% scale per week, um, modifying as needed, but also looking at, you know, how are you feeling in the moment afterward? And then that like 24, 48 hours afterward. But yeah. Uh, what was, uh, do we want to answer the next one or do we want to wait? Where are we at? Uh, 50 minutes. Uh, what's the, what is the next one? Let's Can you talk about alternating massage and chiropractic care for optimum recovery with athletes? Uh, uh, that, that one seems like it needs some length, <laughs> but can yeah. you, bre- can you break that one down? I can do a quick version of it. Um, 30 second version you should alternate every two weeks do one of the two mm-hmm. done and, <laughs> yeah, and in a nutshell it's kind of how it works but yeah that way you're getting like every four weeks you're getting your chiropractic care mm-hmm. to help out with maintenance every four weeks you're getting the massage care yeah in between the two of them you're going to have quite a bit of soft tissue work and yeah just like having an eye on your body mm-hmm. so if the hips have a tendency to get out of place or you have a yeah. certain area that really bothers you you've got someone helping you like how much has it bothered you or how yeah. much has it been aggravated by the training and then you can look back on the two weeks and you're like hey last time i was in and got adjusted you know things were fine and now i'm really out of place prior to the adjustment what happened in those last four weeks or yeah, the last can, two weeks from massage know. yeah can make some some calls there i think the other thing too is like you said just keep an eye on it because that that person might see something and give you like a drill or two to do mm-hmm. that you can kind of do to do maintenance on yourself right before you're seen again it's just like homework you know mm-hmm. what i mean you need to do this yeah so all right um i just want to come out oh um let's see what do we got we got this saturday actually uh when this comes out we have the women's seminar at the gym uh if you haven't signed up for that you can get signed up uh go to Maria Fatali's, um, we post on our Instagram. If mm-hmm. you go there, it'll take you to her Instagram. Um, I think we might have her email on there. She'll send you a link, get mm-hmm. signed up. Or I think you can just show up at the door. It starts at 11 a.m. So um, they're going to lift for a little bit and then they're going to have like a little round table talk. I know there's a lot of um, women-owned businesses that will be there, things like that. So um, good to talk to people, get to know people and uh, network there. Um we are coming up on five weeks out from hosting our first meet at the Rupp Arena in Kentucky. Uh, that's a sold-out meet. Been getting a lot of uh, e- emails about our meets and people like, "How are they sold out already?" Well, I mean, we've been talking. About we've been talking about it for months. a while. <laughs> um, so if you're listening and you want to get signed up for these meets, there's still a little bit left for the throwdown. I think we're about to twenty people left ish on that. Um, the fall brawl sold out. And then once we start posting for next year, I, I if you can commit to it, I would get signed up early because I guarantee you the meets are just going to keep continuing to sell out. So um, we'll get that schedule out at the end of summer and be good to go. So um, that's it for now. We'll uh, get back to it. I, I do want to expand on that nutrition one that I had uh the nutrition question I had last episode. So we'll get to that next week. So I think that's it. Have a good one.